Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora. welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast and thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan, I'm a mum of one, soon to be two boys and a lover of all things birth and a very passionate storyteller. The goal of Kiwi Birth Tales is to empower, inform, educate and connect families from New Zealand and all over the world, talking about the things that are so often kept to ourselves or shared with only our nearest and dearest because of this taboo that seems to surround sharing stories about birth. All stories deserve to be heard, no story more important than the other, and with this podcast you'll get a variety without bias. The podcast is not intended for medical advice, I'm not an advocate for any particular mode of birth or birth care, and this platform is simply here to share these beautiful, empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all, so I hope you enjoy. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Marnie, and Marnie takes us through her four pregnancies and three birth stories. She had one missed miscarriage, which we discuss in the podcast. We briefly touch on her first two births with River and Mac, which were both home births, but pretty different to each other. And these births informed her decision to have an unassisted or a free birth with her third pregnancy. So with Moby, her third baby, she decided to have an unassisted birth at home. She was under the care of a midwife for her pregnancy and postpartum care, so I'll let her talk you through that. But yeah, just a really interesting episode. I've never had a planned unassisted birth on the podcast. There has been a couple of unplanned unassisted home births on the podcast. So it's interesting to hear from Marnie's perspective how she made that decision and what was involved. Just another reminder before we jump into the episode, um, as always, I'm not an advocate for any particular kind of birth or birth model, however you decide to birth, but absolutely am an advocate for working with professionals like a midwife or an obstetrician, um, making sure that you are making informed choices and doing what is safe for you and your baby. So just wanted to make it clear that although I'm really happy and excited to be sharing Marnie's story today, um, I appreciate that it's not the right decision for everybody and I just wanted to make sure that that was pretty clear before we jumped into the episode. So I will let Marnie do the talking now. Enjoy. Hi Marnie, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so stoked to be here Jordan. I've got a sleeping baby so all is well. (laughs) Awesome, very cool. And do you want to tell us um, a little bit about you and who is in your family? Uh, Sure thing. So uh, I have three boys. It's my lot in life to have boys. River (laughs) is uh, five and a half and then Mac just turned three and Moby is now five weeks old. Uh, And yeah, and my husband and I and the boys live uh, just north of Auckland in a little beach town, which we moved to just before lockdown. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And I think uh, I'll get you to talk us through, I guess, a little bit of an overview if you want to start with uh, River, how that pregnancy sort of played out and then a bit of an overview about that birth story. Sure thing. Um, And I think 
it kind of almost goes back to before River because um, my big sister lives in Fiji and uh, was pregnant and coming here for all her prenatal care. Um, and so uh, her partner couldn't always be here. So I actually ended up going to hypnobirthing classes uh, oh, nice. with her um, yeah. before I was even pregnant. So that was before I was even planning to get pregnant or anything. So that was my first introduction to thinking about actually having a baby Mm. or giving birth or anything other than the movies and just this you know this seeing it as a completely uh I don't know dramatic crazy thing Mm. and then going to hypnobirth and being like oh my god like that's what birth can actually be like so uh, I got um ended up getting pregnant with Riv about maybe uh a year after that and yeah six weeks after our wedding actually so I was pregnant on our honeymoon uh and yeah so kind of we weren't trying to get pregnant actively but we weren't not trying um we were just kind of see how things would go in the first year of being married but yeah it happened really quickly um and I had um a, a really wonderful pregnancy I didn't get any morning sickness I was like the luckiest person in the world mm-hmm. um I felt great and was able to keep super active and yeah it was pretty non-eventful um to tell you the truth but I guess from doing the hypnobirthing um course very early on I wanted knew I knew that I wanted a midwife as my care provider and I actually think probably from very early on knew that I wanted to have a home birth so found mm-hmm. um I lived in West Auckland at the time I found a home birth specialist midwife um, out there Um, and really just yeah as I said it was just pretty (laughs) non-eventful and just did a lot of read a lot of books and got really into learning about birth and yeah I'm a bit of a a birth nut to tell you the truth (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I watched lots of videos and just found it really amazing and inspiring I was super excited to give birth and I was the first amongst my close friends to have a baby and my sister had had her baby here so I was at her birth and did all of these things that I look back now she was in the hospital and we were in labor and we were there joking around like her husband was having her gas and things like that and I look back now and I was like what were we thinking (laughs) um so yeah and then Actually, a couple of days before Riv was due, I dropped Steve at um, the ferry building to go to work and then went for a walk and just started feeling cramps um, at about 8 o'clock in the morning. So I texted my midwife and she um, messaged back kind of saying, you know, cool, could be, it could be it. Um, you know, let me know if things, I think she said, if things start feeling funky. <laughs> so uh, I went home and baked a banana cake and just potted around but by about 11 o'clock I messaged Steve saying you know I think I actually am in labor you better come home Uh, and my mum had popped around with her business partner and so I actually wasn't planning on having my mum there but she came over not knowing I was in labor (laughs) and never really left and I didn't really have the heart to tell her to leave but it was definitely um, something that I had reservations about uh, because she was not comfortable with me having a home birth Um, so yeah the midwife popped in about midday just to say hi and listen to the baby and then tootled off again to see some other women 
and I think by about th- the amazing thing with River's birth was it almost it, so- it sounds crazy it was kind of a textbook birth so mm. uh, just I almost felt like I was outside of my body looking down on myself and going through all of these things that I kept thinking like oh they said this would happen then they said it would be like this and they said it would be like this it was a really amazing uh I really felt that I actually surrendered to the experience um and I think it's that kind of beginner's mind like I didn't really know what it was going to be like I was so curious as to what it was going to be like uh and so the day just kind of went on and this um Although having my mum there, she, at one point I hopped in the, the pool because we had a, um, a pool set up in the house and my mum was next to me kind of timing the contractions and, and really up in my face and the midwife arrived just to, to pop in and say hi and she essentially told my mum to back the F up <laughs> and leave me alone. Um, so that was really great to have her kind of advocate for me because my mum, mm. yeah, she was definitely... Uh, she brought a lot of fear to the table and, mm. and, and thankfully as the, as the labor progressed, I kind of went into my own world. So I didn't take that on, but it was hard for my husband who was the one taking it on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I had, um, I didn't get checked for dilation until about, until I was about nine and a half centimeters. So I just, was lying on the couch actually my mum and Steve had wine and chips and were watching suits or something on TV <laughs> while I was on the other end of the couch just in my own world um and uh, yeah I, I I can't remember if I asked to be checked or whether the midwife asked if um if I would like to be checked but um I went and lay down on the bed so she could check me and said you know you're nine and a half there's just a little cervical lip there and when I got up that's when I went into transition because I could feel that absolute shot of adrenaline Mm -hmm. um like I had had a colposcopy before so they um give you actually give you a shot of adrenaline and that was exactly what I felt it was and here's me again like out of my body thinking oh my god this is exactly what they say Mm -hmm. um and that yeah it 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 felt pretty crazy from then and I did a huge power chuck which again I think watching so many birth videos and being so into birth stories and knowing that all of this is normal is just so reassuring because otherwise that could be quite scary to have like a huge power jack um and yeah my midwife uh just kind of got me to put one leg up on a little stool to just try and get that little cervical lip out of the way and then I jumped in the pool but actually then when it came to pushing I was surprised I was like this is hard like this is so much harder than I thought because the rest had been this kind of surrender like just letting my body do its thing and now I'm like oh my god I've got to put in effort this is way harder than I thought and I got into the pool with kind of almost like in the hospital position like on my back with Steve behind me and in hindsight now I think that's not the best way to for for me to birth and so I ended up pushing for for quite a while over an hour and his head was kind of half in, half out for a wee bit, which, like Steve said, was totally freaking my mum out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but the midwife was just, she was amazing. She had really seen it all. She had had five kids of mm. her own and was very calm. And so I felt very calm about it. Um, and then, yeah, and then he was out and I, it was pretty amazing. But I definitely found the pushing the hardest part of, yeah. of that first um 
of River's birth and uh, and the placenta came probably about 20 minutes later. I kind of stood up from the pool and birthed the placenta and it had a, a clot in it. So I kind of, because I stood up, birthed the placenta and obviously lost a bit of blood at that point, I fainted onto Steve who yeah. was luckily behind me. <laughs> um, but everything was fine I came to in about it in a in a few seconds and um and then just ended up sitting back in the bath um yeah. with River for a wee while and then just hopped out onto the couch and had a tea and a and a uh, actually a Milo best best Milo and a Marmite on toast and it was the best <laughs> meal ever <laughs> yeah. and yeah just kind of was in shock that that yeah. just had happened so it was about from Eight o'clock in the morning when I had the kind of first twinges, he was born at um, 10 o'clock at night. So, yeah, oh, that was River. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> cool. And did that birth experience, I guess, like obviously, like you said, pretty textbook um, kind of birth, did that inform your choices around your second birth? So did you want to have another home birth or what were your sort of thoughts when you were going through that pregnancy and birth? So, yeah, I, I definitely knew that, at home was where I wanted to have the next birth and especially after that you know pretty amazing experience mm. but I did decide to have a different midwife even though I lived in the same place and could have had um the same midwife again mm-hmm. I wanted to I guess because I was having it at home again wanted to have had it in me that I wanted to have a different experience and I felt maybe having a different midwife um could do that but interestingly I didn't kind of go back I watched some birth videos again but I didn't really go back into doing that work or the hypnobirthing Mm. before max birth I almost felt a bit cocky I think which in hindsight is was not a good idea (laughs) because and I think as well because you know you're a tired mum and two and a half when Mac was born I really got into my head during max birth and I just Mm. hadn't kind of done that mental preparation to get into that same amazing space of surrender and I think as yeah. well because I had expectations because I'd had a birth now yes. yeah. that's the amazing thing about your can be the amazing thing about your first birth is there's you know might not be expectations which was the case for me so it just played out how it did whereas with Mac I kind of thought to myself well this is how it's going to go because this mm. is how it's gone before um and actually my midwife lived the other side of Auckland and um so <laughs> I so I had this thing in my mind as well that I wanted to give birth in the middle of the night. I thought that would be really romantic. Um, so uh, yeah, I started feeling kind of little cramps, and you know, in the evening, and got super excited. Like you know, stayed up listening. I think I was folding t-shirts for my business and listening mm-hmm. to my birth playlist and being like, oh my god, I'm gonna just labour by myself in the middle of the night. It's gonna be so great. But ended up just staying up stupidly which is like rocky birth era staying up yeah. <laughs> when you're in that kind of pre-labor um phase so I think I got to bed and then and then texted the midwife in the morning and I think because it was a second birth and she lived the other side of Auckland and with traffic she really wanted to get to me in case it was a fast birth mm-hmm. so she arrived probably about eight o'clock and then I think from the moment she was there and she just stayed all day, she just stayed the whole time. She didn't kind of pop in and out. I almost felt like I needed to do things to get the labor going. Cause I'm like, yeah. well, she's here now. I really need to get this going. So I really got into my head and I was, you know, curb, like curb walking, like a crazy woman and just, um, kind of stressing out, um, 
which yeah wasn't it was such a different experience to river and I was very aware of this but I almost felt like I couldn't stop myself I couldn't get into that place of just um letting it flow Mm -hmm. so we were doing all the kind of like Rochambeau's and all the kind of different positions and curb walking and um yeah even though she wasn't you know she was just kind of sitting in the corner pottering away and making herself cups of tea and things I really had it in my head that I needed to get things going so Mm. yeah it was a it was a really different experience and um but it was great she taught me how to go and check myself so um I went and did that a, a few times over the day and both both River and Mac I never really my waters never really broke um mm-hmm. so uh yeah so I could I could check myself which I found really that was quite a grounding experience and kind of brought me back into my body um but again I just kind of kept I'm saying oh I think there's a lip like I had last time but I was just almost kind of overthinking and overthinking um mm-hmm. uh and thinking as well to myself it's not really happening until I I have that transition spew kind of like I really put it on myself that it was going to be like River's birth so um but all in all I think I probably went into transition about 5 p.m and hopped in the hopped in the pool and did my big vomit and um (laughs) so delightful and then but this time I got into a different position like I was kind of on one knee with the other knee up and really found it was such a amazing pushing like he came out like I could really feel him I had my hand down there feeling his head come out I felt so connected to being able to kind of con- not control that but like I felt that I kind of knew what I was doing a bit more and the position felt a lot better and so the pushing mm-hmm. part was only about 20 minutes and it felt I wasn't confused by it I felt really kind of like I yeah like I could do it and and especially after a lot of the day thinking like those times I can't do it like what am I doing I don't know what I'm doing then this pushing part felt really empowering and um yeah he was born at about seven o'clock at night uh and again I was like I need my Milo and I need my (laughs) my toast on the couch uh so yeah both pretty and and looking back now I think pretty pretty similar births in a way just I think with with Mac I really got into my head so that was something I was super aware of for yeah for Moby's birth that I couldn't really rest on my laurels you've you know mm. I had to keep doing that work of learning to relax and learning to surrender and learning to let my body surrender and let go yeah. and soften and all of that stuff yeah awesome cool and I guess how old are River and Mac now so Moby's just been born not long so, ago there's a three-year age gap between um Mac and Moby and then yeah. yeah Rev's five and a half yeah nice awesome cool and did you sort of know that you were trying to fall pregnant or did how did you sort of find out that you were pregnant um with Moby uh so I'd ha- I had fallen pregnant at the end of 2019 and had a missed miscarriage yeah. um so that kind of wasn't planned but mm-hmm. then when I'd had the the miss miscarriage I guess it became more in my in my head that we would like to have a third one and and yeah. um but we did move from we were living in Methven at the time we moved up north so I kind of thought I don't want to put pressure on myself and it, it is a strange time after a 
a miscarriage around mm. being nervous about getting pregnant again. So I, again, was trying to play it cool and think if it does happen, great, and if it doesn't. So I wasn't tracking my cycle or anything. Um, yeah. And just When you really... say missed miscarriage, do you just want to tell us what that means for someone who might not have heard that term before? Yeah, so from my understanding, it's where um, the egg doesn't actually fertilize, but your body believes that it's pregnant. So, mm-hmm. um, so you, so it was. So when I went for the twelve weeks, so I started bleeding. And we were away on a trip for New Year's. I started bleeding. Um, so a week later, so I continued bleeding over our whole holidays. And when I got back, um, I went for a scan. So they could see there was a there was a sack, but nothing in it. Um, right. So it wasn't, yeah. So there was no embryo. It was just the sex. Mm-hmm. So my body was believing it was pregnant, but um, yeah, but yeah, there was nothing there. So I, I did, I had a kind of a natural miscarriage. So which again was another thing that um, really took me by surprise. It was quite mm-hmm. a intense experience. It really was like giving birth, which um, yeah. you know our bodies are so amazing um, as. As hard as it as it is going through something like that, I really had a, a reverence for my body, kind of knowing what what to mm. do and 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 birth that um that sack. So, yeah, that had happened early January, and then I must have got pregnant in May, if my maths is about right. Um, yeah, and yeah, so we were super excited, and I was definitely nervous, although didn't want that to overshadow the pregnancy so Mm. tried really hard to again have an open mind that it might not the pregnancy might not follow through but also really excited that it could and might and etc um so yeah I'm not really one to wait to 12 weeks because and again (laughs) I think it's so important to share the whole you know you know I have a platform talking to women and I I think it's yeah one of my mantras is to really share the whole experience so um I think we shared that we were pregnant when I was about eight weeks um along with everyone and yeah thankfully again it was a really um I didn't get any morning sickness which I can imagine when you have two boys running around would have been just absolute mayhem but I was lucky that that didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I did feel really pregnant really quickly and I found that quite overwhelming so by Mm. about 20 weeks people were like oh any day now I'm like definitely not (laughs) oh my god I feel a bit like that too (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and we found out with all three boys what we were um you know the gender um the well the the sex and yeah so finding out that we're having our third boy was I kind of knew, like I knew all along that of mm. course we were going to have an, another boy, but we really only had those 20 week scans in each of the, in each of the pregnancies, um, both to, I think those scans are so amazing when you get to see and they run you through all the anatomy and it's so incredible, yeah. um, but also to find out um, what we were having. Uh, but I guess, yeah, so I did find, I found I was so much more exhausted this pregnancy Mm. I really had to set limits with myself because I'm a doer that I had to slow down uh which I found really hard because then I ended up because I didn't want to you know life can't stop so you end up kind Mm. of bossing people around but I think that's another lesson in kind of asking for help and not pushing yourself to the absolute Mm. limit (laughs) uh and and so I was just 
yeah, learning to slow down, to listen to my body when things physically felt too much. And I could really, like my body really told me this time yeah. when, when it was, when I'd kind of maxed out on, on yeah. my physical exertion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess I know you've got two boys already, so I just can't even imagine, like I just struggle running around after Jai and I've only got him. Um, so how, I guess, do you have any, anything that helped you or any kind of practical tips throughout your pregnancy that you feel like, um, yeah, you, you would do again or you'd give advice to someone else in that situation? Well, I have a great practical tip, but it's it's not going to work for everyone, and that is have a stay-at-home husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, when we left Auckland a couple of years ago, uh, my husband quit his job and became kind of the this primary caregiver. Yeah, awesome. So that's been our case for about two and a half years now. And so while I was pregnant, I run my business, which is an online business, um, and we run I run that from home. So the boys go to a couple of days a week childcare or um, we, we're homeschooling River, but he does two days at a nature um, program. Yeah. So Steve was their primary caregiver and I'm always around, but definitely defer a lot of the hands-on parenting to him, which yeah. I would really recommend. Know <laughs> <laughs> that it can't work for everyone, but... I think as well moving, we've moved to a small town and I joined Play Centre as soon as I got here and have really felt a sense of community. Yeah. And these women, because it's a small town as well, in terms, so you're pro, you know you have a proximity to people, so people do just drop by and see if you need anything. Mm. And I think that's something that... Um, I was joined up to a play centre in Auckland, but it didn't quite have that same feeling. So yeah. I just really recommend it's that finding your village. And I know that it's something that every mother craves and just mm. figuring out how you can do that for yourself is just my number one tip because we're not meant to do this alone. Like that's something yeah. I've learned from being a parent is it's hard. It's hard because it's hard, but it's made harder because we're doing it without the support network that mm. traditionally was always around mothers and babies and young young kids. Yeah, 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 for sure. Cool. And I know that you talked about in your last birth, um, you didn't do as much work around the sort of lead up and mm. the birth videos and I guess the educational side of birth. Mm. So did you do that differently this time around? And do you want to talk us through if you were with a different midwife again and what your sort of choices were there? Yeah, so... I, because we're now um, up north, so I went looking for um, a midwife around here, of which yeah. there's not many because we're <laughs> in a very small town. Yeah. Um, but I um, was really lucky that one of the midwives up here is uh, had a real interest in home birth, so mm -hmm. um, that was an easy choice for me with her. But I guess probably at about the 12-week mark, I, I started thinking about um, this idea of, of birthing unassisted without a midwife present. Yeah. And it's something that I had, had been on my radar ever since I had become interested in birth and been to those hypnobirthing mm. classes, but it didn't seem like, well, actually in my first birth, I really loved that kind of wise woman aspect of having a midwife there. I really cherished that. Um, so I wouldn't go back and do, do anything differently um, mm. now, but it was kind of always this little niggling idea in my head of what would it be like if if 
you know, the only person I could look to in birth is myself and how mm. deep would that meant that I went, to, you know, into those far reaches of what I'm capable of and what's my body yeah. capable of and, and the trust in my body and my baby. Um, so that idea was floating around and, and I toyed with it and spoke to my husband and then did a lot of research about what that looks like and mm. uh, the reality of it um, with where I live being I would say I'm about 35 minutes from the nearest hospital. Um, so, yeah, I guess I went into deep research mode and then also deep soul-searching mode. You know, what are my reasons around wanting to do this? Is it to try and prove something? Is it, like, you know, really trying to sort through the bullshit of, of what it meant to me to give birth and therefore what it would mean to do it um, without kind of a... Mm. Uh, carer so I kind of decided by about 20 weeks that it's something that really resonated with me and an experience that I really uh, felt aligned with my beliefs in birth and and my beliefs in uh, you know what my body and my baby are uh, kind of meant to do you know <laughs> all of that and was really nervous because I didn't want to break up with my midwife if that makes sense I didn't want it to be that I um that she wasn't part of my prenatal care well I wanted to see what her her thoughts on it were so I was a bit nervous but I I had a conversation with her and she was incredibly supportive and and really said to me that she would be there as much as I needed her or yeah. would like her to be there and that it didn't have to be a black and white thing as in yeah, I didn't yeah. have to say, I don't want you, see you later and never hear from her again, that she could be mm. there, but um, it could just always be an open dialogue as to um, how much involvement she had in the prenatal and, and yeah. birth. Um, so I was incredibly um, lucky. Well, I'm just incredibly grateful that she um, was so supportive with that. So mm. I continued all my prenatal care with her. Um, but we kind of just toned it down a bit. So um, I had less monitoring and, and sometimes we would just talk in our appointments. Um, and and I asked a lot of questions and, and my hus her and my husband had a meeting. Um, so we just talked a lot, really, <laughs> um, about different scenarios, about um, what we would do if certain things happened, about the risks um, and I have, all my pregnancies have been low risk and, and um, there are no factors um, within my history or um, yeah. within the history in my family of any kind of risk factors. So she was comfortable um, knowing that there was a, you know, that the plan was to not call her um, essentially. So yeah, it was a very different experience because I knew going into something like having an unassisted birth and and interestingly I actually know about three women who've unintentionally had um free births yeah. um especially being rural up there here sometimes the midwife just doesn't make it and it all happens too quickly so mm -hmm. uh yeah I just talked to a lot of people who had had um experiences without a midwife present and and really did a lot of looking at what my fears were, you know, and working through them and whether they were legitimate fears and, and how could I um, then put plans in place to ease those fears or whether they were fears that I just needed to work through. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And so I guess, did that mean that your plan was, or in terms of how much you can plan birth um, (laughs) when you went into labor, like what was the sort of process that you had in place with your midwife? So would, would you let her know that you were in labor or what were the, um, I guess, more the administrative aspects of it? Yeah. So she lives about 10 minutes away. So, um, so I, we always plan to let her know that I was in labor because she, it was the first time she had ever had a, um, a, a, a woman kind of overseeing a woman who is, was choosing to, to free birth. And mm. so she did a lot of chatting with a lot of her colleagues as well, just to ease her mind. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. when something's new, it's, um, can be, uh, can be scary. So we'd always plan to, to call her and let her know. And she had even said at one point, I can just come and park my car outside your house <laughs> and, and kind yeah. of sleep in my car. Um, if you want me there. And I think, Interestingly, um, my husband, well, maybe not interestingly, I, I guess it kind of makes sense because I was doing so much work on my own, um, kind of get, working through any fears that I had that he actually mm. had to do that for himself. So uh, that was a big thing for him. He really was worried that if anything went wrong, it would fall onto him. And I feel like yes. that's a really yeah. big part of choosing to birth unassisted. It's actually... Uh, communicating to everyone because um, I was having a birth photographer that was the um, mm-hmm. w- one thing that I had chosen to have communicating to everyone that and, and to my midwife as well that I am, was taking full and complete responsibility of, of this birth and, and the um, choices that I was making through it so you know to put that on my husband and 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 he felt really nervous that as I said anything went wrong that he would be the one to have to mm step in and so a we prepped as much as possible as to um different scenarios and what he could do and what ones needed attention and what ones were just things that um we could kind of work through ourselves uh and yeah really work for him working through what his fears were which you know are the obvious ones Mm -hmm. that that's things would medically go wrong um, and that there would be an emergency but we had a plan in place it would be to firstly call the uh, an ambulance of things you know we kind of had a list of things that were call ambulance and a list of things that were call midwife Um, and so I think that he's a very kind of rational person so having kind of lists and and things that you know if a happens do b kind of thing really mm. helped him and knowing that the birth photographer who um had been at a lot of births uh, and had has five children herself that <laughs> she would at least be there to you know to have another person to talk to I think or if or if, if some, Steve felt uncomfortable with something he could maybe check in with her kind of thing I think that really mm. helped him uh so yeah we just were trying to cover all our bases without kind of going into that um you know fear mode of I you know I think that was a big thing about free birthing is I do am very aware that birth is um inherently uh you know carries inherent risks it's I have deep reverence for birth and what an incredible but full-on process that it Mm. is um and that even if you've had two really straightforward births that that doesn't necessarily mean that there might not be a complication. I'm super aware that birth um, 
isn't something to be blasé about but at the same time I really didn't want to get stuck in a worst case scenario mindset mm. and um, I have a few friends who are uh, in the medical system and so you know really and so I had them kind of talk to me really worried about my decision mm. um, and just trying to help them understand that because they're in the medical system they see things that are really um, traumatic with birth um, but but that's not the lens that I was viewing things from, that I didn't want to live in that worst-case scenario mindset. So really trying to pull myself out of there and think about the the real um, risks, but yeah. also the, the reality that my body has done this before, that it knows what to do and that, you know, uh, like the hope was that it was just going to do its thing again. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, did you have any periods throughout this pregnancy and, and, you know, your whole journey towards having an unassisted birth? Was there any time where you thought maybe you didn't want to do that, maybe it wasn't the right decision, um, or Um, were you just sort of the whole time 100% sure that that was what you were going to do? Do you know what's so funny is I've found being a mother really really hard I've Mm. had so many times of really doubting myself I've had huge amounts of anxiety um since becoming a mum and and really struggled with this whole journey Mm. but interestingly birth for me and and the trust that I have in the birthing process is something so outside of all of that worry and it it even blows my mind that doubt it's almost like I kind of forced myself to doubt the decision but naturally I actually never doubted it um it's like my little anxious mind was like I'm coming in to to see if you doubt it and it just felt so I felt so confident and comfortable there was there was actually never a time where I thought it wasn't the right decision um and nothing happened in my pregnancy that would made me doubt that although yeah. um like I when I went for that 20-week scan uh the some of the measurement he was measuring quite quite big um but it's that's exactly the same as what happened with both the other boys and they were mm-hmm. born at um at 3.9 and 3.6 kilos so I knew um they just had their dad is really tall tall so their <laughs> measurements come yeah. out all whack um so you know, kind of little things pinged up that maybe if I hadn't have had uh, births before might have mm. pinged some anxiety. But because I'd had those kind of same things creep up, like even in Moby's uh, pregnancy, which was the same with Max, you know, they had they they measured big on the twenty week scan, and then my um, fundal measurements weren't kind of tracking as big. But that's exactly yeah. what happened with with Moby. So I just felt really confident actually, and there wasn't wasn't a time that I that I doubted it I was really excited by it and um and had a few friends here who had had home births and not unassisted births but who were really encouraging and um and had so really good people just to to talk through any mm. any reservations with yeah cool all right and do you want to talk us through um I guess when your labor started and how far along you were and I know you mentioned you had a birth photographer coming, so what was your plan with that? And yeah, do you want to take us through, I guess, the start of your labour? Cool. Um, so yeah, as I said, I was really looking forward to it, and 
I think he was due on the 30th um, and I went to, I was feeling, I actually wasn't feeling, I thought he was going to come at Easter. <laughs> I just had it in my mind that he was going to come at Easter. And, uh, but I went to the chiropractor on, on Monday, um, which I'd been doing through pregnancy, which I really feel helped. Um, I'd been going kind of weekly since about 30 weeks. So I went on the Monday and she just did some amazing little, um, uh, what are they called? <laughs> she just did some amazing, uh, kind of opening, like almost opening up of things. So she was trying to create a bit of space and, um, yeah. cause everything was so, she said, your body's really kind of at its limit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did a, an adjustment on me and then I, um, went home in the next afternoon which was his due date and the midwife was actually here dropping off some adult diapers for um, postpartum (laughs) um I said to her I actually think I'm feeling some little cramps starting and she was like cool I'll just listen to his heartbeat one more time so we all feel really confident that he's Mm. doing great um so we did that and then by that kind of late afternoon I was saying to myself you know I think this is on and so um yeah, we put the birth like we blew up the birth pool in the lounge, and um, again, I had this like I I see birth as this kind of romantic idea of birth, which I think is so funny because then I must always forget the reality of it and then go <laughs> on to the next one, being like, oh my god, it's going to be so romantic. And again, I was like, oh, you know, if I do the maths compared to the last births, if I kind of start labour now, then I'll have my middle of the night birth again. But um, so we just went to the beach with the kids and. And I said, Steve, like, I'm probably going to vomit. So let's have some dinner that I won't regret when I bring it up again. So, so we just got some pizza and I was like, cool, let's go to bed early, all of us. So we all went and hopped into bed at like eight o'clock. Um, and by about midnight, I was too uncomfortable in bed and wanted to get up. Uh, so I was having surges that were not regular um, and not anything kind of like I could almost sleep through them and and well I probably did sleep through some of them and um could obviously just chat to Steve and but I really wanted to get up out of bed by about midnight so Steve was like do you want some company so we got up and came into the lounge and put some music on but then we started playing Monopoly Deal and Steve's like if you can play Monopoly Deal you probably should be sleeping (laughs) so I was like okay cool uh let's like go to bed and at this point I went into my own room because I had been sleeping and and we have a room with lots of beds that we kind of co-sleep in so I left them in there and I came into my own bed and and um fell fell asleep but I woke up about three o'clock with really the contractions had really ramped up so it kind of woke me up and then amazingly I could kind of fall asleep after the contraction and then that woke me up again and I mm-hmm. was seeing that they were about 10 minutes apart so I was luckily just falling back asleep would wake up having to breathe a little bit through it and really like it it took all my was taking all my attention but then I'd fall back asleep uh, mm-hmm. and that happened till about seven o'clock in the morning when everyone woke up and charged back into the house um, and then yeah we just kind of because they weren't getting any closer together or stronger, um, I I kind of 
realised that we might have a bit to go, so Steve went and dropped Mac at Kindy. We decided to keep Riv home from his nature school because it, it's like 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and the plan was to have the boys around as much as they wanted to be. Uh, and the birth photographer actually had asked if her daughter could come along. So she is an, uh, one of her children is an eight-year-old girl who um, really is interested in birth so um Mm. that had been the conversation so uh so in my mind I thought that she could always play with the kids if Mm. if she was around um and yeah really that morning is a blur I said to Steve Steve we've got to remember what happened in the day so I can tell people but um (laughs) we just kind of potted around the house I would go every now and then and walk we've got a bit of lawn a bit of yeah a bit of lawn outside so I'd do a few laps walking outside and the contractions were so manageable um and they weren't really weren't ramping up um but they weren't going away either um they were just sticking around that 10 minute mark and then I'd have one four minutes apart then one minute it was super random yeah. and again like I'd learned from Max birth just to not make it mean anything you know really not get stuck in my head about you know well if labor's going well then they should be getting closer closer together and things I was just trying to really not get into that headspace um so uh yeah we just potted around the house and then I'd go try and lie down for a bit and walk for a bit and um, put on some uh clary sage incense and you know would make sure I was drinking lots of water and have a banana every now and then and uh but by about two o'clock I was saying to Steve that things started to feel like they were um you know moving along but at this point my mum had called him to go and meet the chorus internet provider up at her house (laughs) so he's like I'm just gonna quickly go and get that out of the way now and I was like cool go do that now and he picked up Mac from Kindy as well and then came back and when he came back I said to him I'm gonna call the photographer and I would like you to start filling up the pool um which he hadn't checked whether the the fitting for the hose fit on our taps so there he is (laughs) filling the pool by bucket by bucket (laughs) um and the the photographer arrived at about three o'clock I think and again interestingly I, I had this this kind of voice in my head that now she was there things needed to you know I really needed to be in proper labor and things it yeah. was like this own weird internal pressure that I had of um yeah almost like having an audience mm. and needing to perform for them which is so strange and I and I really realized that and really tried to not let that um you know get in the way of understanding yeah. that the label was going to go how it was going to go and the whole idea around being at home is that you feel um feel that you don't have to perform that you're in your own space and it can go at whatever pace it's it's going to go but but things were definitely intense and I got in the pool around four o'clock um but I I almost forgot that the whole point of hopping in the pool is that it is a pain relief and so when the contractions weren't as painful I was kind of thinking oh fuck have I have I messed up and should I not have hopped in the pool Mm. yet um but so I was in there for probably about an hour and a half and Mac 
took off his clothes and jumped in and was swimming <laughs> around and actually I've got some amazing photos of him like trying to give me a little massage and <laughs> like um so I was happy to have him in there until about 5:30 when when a things really started my contractions never got really close together yeah. um but they were really intense so I was confused in a way thinking because we have this idea of how labor should look you know so in my mind I was like they have to be close together for for it to really be mm -hmm. um to you know getting towards the the pointy end of the stick with it but I had again checked myself um I think I'd only really checked myself a few times because I didn't want to obsess over how dilated I was and yeah. Steve was checking um I don't know if, if people know but um my midwife with Mac had taught me that you can look at above a butt crack and there's kind of a purple line that goes up above the butt crack and that can be an indicator of how dilated you are so essentially if there's a purple line running the whole way up the top of your butt crack um so I'm like Steve check my butt crack he's like excuse <laughs> me <laughs> um then that can show dilation um so I was asking Steve to do that and I checked myself a few times um but was really just wanting to you know not look at clocks and <laughs> and not really have um, have expectations about where I should be um, and just really trying to feel how my body felt and listen to my own noises and um, and how much I could concentrate on my breathing I had to concentrate on breathing to get through a contraction um, so about 5.30 when my eldest son decided to jump in the pool and the boys were messing around and splashing I was like okay 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 and I think I said a few swear words and told Steve <laughs> to get them out of the pool and put some tv on for them um and then yeah I think at that point I went into a bit of a a bit of a thought spiral thinking I was just confused was my main thing and and that Steve asked me at one point whether I, I wanted him to call the midwife and I just then had a good chat to him and I was able to talk in between contractions and I just said to him I'm just really confused because I feel like this should be more intense and if it's not that intense now then there's obviously a long way to go and and that's confusing to me um yeah. and so I was getting a bit distressed in that sense that you know this idea that you might have a really long time to go um and my, the photographer was amazing. She was like, "Maybe you just need to change a change of scene. Why don't you jump out of the jump out of the pool and take a little walk around the back?" Um, and I had it in my head as well. I was like, "I'd been burping a bit and feeling like I needed to be sick, but um, you know, this idea that when I go into transition, then I vomit that kind of mm -hmm. wasn't happening. So then I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm not in transition, which means I'm not close to having my baby." And a bit like, Ugh, which of course, when you are out of that you know that that kind of means you're going to, you know those mm -hmm. I can't do it what's going on is sometimes a sign that you are actually going into transition so which I think the photographer knew so she was just like you know why don't you just go and have a little walk outside so she came out with me and I've got a little deck out the back so I just kind of did a little curb walky thing on the deck and then the contractions really just went to another level and but I just, in my mind, and when I would get a strong contraction, I would say, like, that was a good one because it was, like, this real sense that the stronger and more intense the contractions were, that that's such a good thing. That means you're getting close to, you know, to having mm -hmm. your baby. So 
I was out there kind of having these cr- crazy contractions where I'd have to kind of lean all over the photographer, <laughs> like <laughs> grab onto her. Um, but saying like, that was such a good one and kind of getting excited by it. And, and then I did my big power check and I was like, so excited by that point. I'm like, yes. Um, and so I came and hopped back into the pool and just already almost walking back inside was starting to feel the urge to push. Um, so hopped into the, hopped into the pool and, um, and got back into that same position that I'd felt so good with Mac and just, it was the most pushing, Moby Out was the most incredible, uh, joyous, amazing experience because I, I reached down and, and so, um, I could feel the sack bulging. So in the first few um, pushes, um, the sack broke. And so I looked down to check the color of the water. It's amazing how you're in this crazy birth zone, but then you can snap out of it to do things like check Mm. the color of the water, then like go, go back into the, Mm. so the fluid was clear. So, um, so that was a good sign and um, felt a huge sense of relief once that the sack had burst Um, and his head dropped down so I could feel his head, um, and then I just left my hand there kind of guiding it out. And I, Steve said I was just grinning the whole time because, um, A, probably because I was so relieved. Um, but also <laughs> just I knew that this was kind of, this means my, you know, your baby is, is really about to be born. Yeah. So I could feel his head. And then, and then as I, as I, um, a next contraction came and I pushed, I could feel his ears. And it was honestly the most, <laughs> the craziest I just felt so connected because I think it's, you know, sometimes you look at your baby, you're like, oh my God, that was inside me. And, mm-hmm. and there's kind of a disconnect, but, and, and even more so than with Mac, like feeling his ears, I was like, this is him. And we had named him actually while I was pregnant. And that was the first time that we had actually picked a name and really stuck with it before having, having the bubba. Um, and so I was able to say like Moby, like, it's so like you're here and, and he had a name and I could feel his ears and it just was such an incredible mm. feeling and um and I felt so it was like my body had done its part and now it was time for me to do my part mm. to kind of to bring him out into the world so it was only about three or four pushes that um that he came out and I was kind of just gently um kind of easing not easing his head out because you know they do that themselves but just kept my hand there um and yeah and then he you know the head came out in about two pushes and then his shoulders um came out and then that kind of they slip out <laughs> um <laughs> and so I was I was able to 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 grab him because I had my hand already down there and bring him up to my chest and actually with all three babies the um umbilical cord was not wrapped around their neck, but almost up like a holster. So like up around one shoulder, around the back of the neck and then down under the armpit again. Um, so yeah, so kind of untangled him. And again, I think from watching so many birth videos and from um, being on so many forums about free birthing and things, just understanding that, you know, if there's a cord there, you know, people think that, it's so dire if there's a cord around the neck or mm. around the body that actually you've got you've got a few seconds it's it's you know they're still attached everything's going to be okay to be you can be calm about it so kind of just calmly unwrapped his cord which then I was able to properly bring him up onto my chest 
um, and um, kind of was just rubbing his back and talking to him. And it took him probably a minute to fully give a good cry and a good, um, you know, they really kind of spring to life. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but just being really trusting that, that he was just taking that minute to yeah. adjust to being out into the world. And uh, yeah, and then he gave a big hearty cry and we all just had huge grins on our faces and uh literally two seconds later Matt came running in and jumped in the pool (laughs) and came over and he was like can I paint his nails yellow which is his (laughs) favorite color and we all just absolutely burst out laughing um and yeah we just sat in the pool for a bit and um River my elder son came in and was a bit um he was a bit reserved uh and but yeah, Mac was right in there next to me, <laughs> touching and and wanting to cuddle him and things. So I just had him up on my chest for a bit, and and we got some flannels, and I was just putting some warm water. Oh, and this whole time Steve had about two kettles on the go and was constantly topping it up <laughs> with hot water. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just so incredible, and I think. Um, yeah, the last, just that last pushing part, it was, I can't explain, it was like, I just felt so connected to him mm. and to my body, and, and it's funny now, even when I like pat his head and have him up, I feel his ears, and I was like, wow, that was, you know, just such a connection to actually growing him inside me. <laughs> yeah, 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 awesome, and so from there, I guess, typically with a home birth and in your previous births probably the midwife will have checked him over and checked you over and made sure you didn't need any stitches or anything like that so what what was the process following your birth did you have a plan for the midwife to come at some stage or what, yeah. what happened from there yeah so we had always planned that she would um come at some point after after yeah. he was born um to yeah to check us check that we were okay to meet him she was really excited to meet him um so she probably arrived about half an hour after he was born and by this stage I had hopped out of the pool and was uh on the couch and uh just snuggled up on the couch um with him so she came in and uh she didn't really check him then we we just kind of he was all cuddled up and he had gone straight onto the boob and was going for it um but I was getting such intense afterbirth pains like Mm. you know I didn't have any after my first birth I don't think I had any I don't remember them after Mac but this was like next level proper felt like like you know going into transition contractions kind of thing and I think as well because your body it's almost like your body has a bit of trauma it's like these things are happening after it's been such an intense time it was just like toe curling Mm. um so I was a bit surprised by that because I hadn't really had it in the other births and um in both River and Max births I'd birthed the placenta about half an hour later so um after I was sitting on the couch just chilling out a friend had dropped off some sourdough um bread so we were just having something to eat um, I, yeah, the, there was no kind of, ble- so the placenta hadn't released. There was no, um, so the, that was the first thing the midwife did. She just kind of s- sat with me and we just kind of waited for that, that, uh, release and a, the bit of blood to then go and, um, kind of go sit on the toilet or do whatever to, to birth a placenta. But it just wasn't, 
wasn't really happening. So um, after about an hour, she asked me if I wanted to go and sit on the toilet and try and do a wee or um, something just to to see if that might um, help the placenta release. Um, and I went and sat on the toilet and it literally took me about 10 minutes to do a wee. It was, like, <laughs> it was almost like my body was too afraid to let anything go. <laughs> um, and so I did a wee, but that still didn't... Um, didn't really release the placenta and she um, gave a very light tug on the um, just uh, actually then we came back and we cut the um, cord so um, by this stage it had been over yeah about an hour um, and obviously all the um, the cord was clear, clear of all the um, the blood and and Moby had got it all so we came and we cut the cord just to kind of have a bit of freedom of me moving around as well um, and he was able to have some skin to skin with his dad at that point, and we just uh, sat there talking about what I, you know, talking through uh, what I what we could do to try and release the placenta. So having him breastfeeding as much as possible to try and, um, you know, get all those that oxytocin flowing again to to release the um, placenta. And uh, my midwife did offer me some some oxytocin, which I I didn't want to do. I wanted to. Um, you know give the placenta a chance to release naturally and and again this is something that I've done a lot of reading about and and um not not being worried that it hadn't released straight away and I wasn't um my uh my midwife could feel my tummy and feel um the uterus contracting when I was having so she could feel it was kind of going moving back down into mm. um like a um t- having a bit of tone in it and moving back down to a smaller kind of get, got really hard like it's amazing how it goes from this you know holding a baby down back to a baseball but um <laughs> so she she was definitely keeping an eye on that and that in that way I was really grateful to have her there because I think in those moments after having the baby this you're in this kind of dream world so to kind of come back down to that like thinking about the logistical and practical sides of things mm-hmm. um I was really grateful to have her there then um, and so then maybe a half an hour later she um, asked me if I wanted to go back and sit on the toilet and see if um, just even that positioning might help um, so I did and and I kind of got the urge to to go to the toilet again and with that my placenta release so it was probably about two hours after and um, and I'd been having those such strong um, afterbirth pains uh, that it was such a relief to, to birth the placenta Um such a relief and the photographer was sticking around so that she could take some photos of it and um my midwife and I looked at it and she showed me through which I really appreciate I think it's so amazing to kind of get a little tour of your placenta which has nourished your baby for so long so everything was um it was completely intact and there was um, nothing so that was another great thing for her like I had done research about how to how to check um, your placenta to check that there was nothing retained or um, no no clots of worrying size. So, um, but it was nice to have her there for that. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of cuddled up on the couch and said goodbye to everyone, and that was that. Yeah, amazing, very cool. And I guess what were the next um, next few days and and weeks like, and um, how did your recovery go, and yeah, all of that, did you notice um, a difference in this postpartum period in comparison to Mac and River? And yeah, uh, do you want to so, take us through that? So both boys I'd had um, 
real issues in with with tongue ties. So with Matt, with River, it was um, as I said, you know, the births went so well, but with um, with Riv in the postpartum period, the first four or five weeks were were pretty dreamy, but then um, he started kind of almost developing reflux whereas mm. my understanding of reflux is it's something that they have when they're really really little and it gets better but um from about five weeks on uh he really started developing severe reflux and and was really colicky and we just went on this huge journey of thinking it might be allergies and whatever and in the end at eight months he was diagnosed with a posterior tongue tie um <laughs> so it had been such a journey for us to, and by that stage, um, the uh, and so feeding was, feeding was an issue and wind was an issue and it was just, yeah, it really almost broke me. But so when Mac was born, we immediately looked for that and, and Steve, their dad has a tongue tie and these, you know, it's often hereditary, um, but I didn't know anything about, and because it was a posterior tongue tie, they're, they're, they're much harder to diagnose. So they're a deeper tongue tie. They're not, so visible um but there are a few um lactation consultants and we ended up seeing an um ENT specialist who specializes in, in these posterior tongue ties um so there was a lot of learning that went on f- with us through our experience with River so when Mac was born we straight away got him checked for a tongue tie which he had exactly the same tongue tie and and I I'm like this like I tell every new mum about checking for tongue ties because because of my experience but um it's not always obvious like both boys never lost weight um actually all three boys never lost weight um were breastfeeding well I didn't really have ripped up or super like bleeding sore nipples like you usually associate with tongue ties um but there were other signs that now I'm super vigilant of. So um, not being able to get a deep latch, really getting those sucking blisters is another uh, another sign that their latch isn't great. Um, being able to hear clicking when they feed. Um, so all of these signs were um, were present with, with Mac and Moby. Um, and so with Mac, we got a, his tongue tie lasered in Hamilton at about eight days old. Uh, but then we had to get it revised for, with the ENT specialist at it when he was about um, six months old. Um, so with Moby, we straight away booked in to go and see the ENT specialist when he was uh, a week old. Um, and so he had, yeah, a grade four posterior tongue tie and a lip tie. All, all of the kids had lip ties as well. Um, so we got that sorted straight away. And, and you know, he had, he was putting on weight, everything, it wasn't immediately a dire situation but I just knew from my experience with River because because River was eight months old it was actually affecting him being able to eat solids and things as well he wasn't really able to move the food around in his mouth because he had that restriction so um you know even if there aren't immediate uh concerns I just am such an advocate for really double triple checking that there there might not be a um a tongue tie there um so yeah that was high on our list of priorities once he was born um but yeah I definitely I as I was saying about where we've moved to in the community here we felt so supported like the day after he was born one of my friends came and picked up the two big boys and had them for the day so that Steve and I could um you know just literally stay in bed and and I really had it in my mind because with Mac um 
I didn't take any time off running my business. So literally the day after he was born, I was back on social media and back mm. on, uh, you know, packing orders and just, I was a crazy person. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I was super aware of not wanting to do that because I think it did, um, just going straight back into the hustle did affect um, my ability to, to bond with Mac. And, and as I said, I, I had uh, a lot of anxiety postpartum mm. um so just being super aware of the things that would trigger that and yeah. really not wanting to go down that um train again and I almost think I have some sort of PTSD from River um from cry him crying so much mm. so was I'm just so super aware of those triggers for me and and communicating so well with Steve about what I need and and um you know how to ask him for help and just also learning to ask for help you know um so and I kind of had to practice while I was pregnant people would offer help and even if I didn't really I'm doing air quotes needed I would say yes because it was just me practicing saying <laughs> yes to to people offering help so that's been a really amazing uh difference this time and there's been a meal train with the play center mums of dropping dropping us around meals um and m- Mac, even though he had the tongue tie sorted, um, he still really had trouble with wind and he cried a lot and um, Steve was at work full time. So, um, yeah, I had a really, really hard time uh, in the first year of Mac's life and essentially until Steve quit his job, um, just really struggling with anxiety and, and yeah, this real... Uh, the. I was in that fight or flight mode a lot mm-hmm. and I really found it hard to, to bond with him and and her, him crying kind of sent me away from him, if that makes sense, rather than that natural motherly urge yeah, yeah. to go to your child. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of battles at that time and knew that I needed more support um, So and, and needed a big toolbox to kind of deal with them. So um, having Steve around has just been so amazing you know I vividly remember when he was you know two weeks after and that's what happens dads get two weeks off if they're lucky and then Mm. they go back to work and I remember crying and begging him not to go back to work because I just did not feel capable of of having the two boys um River wasn't in daycare so um yeah I did not feel capable but this time it's just been such a blessing not to have to worry about that and having mm. that support here full time is just amazing because if ever you're overwhelmed you can just a have an adult to talk to which I can't yeah. stress enough how important yeah. that is um and just be able to kind of change the sense of I'm overwhelmed with with Moby then I can ask Steve if he wants to swap kind of thing and then I'll go and yeah. hang out yeah. with the big boys and um and just even physically, you know, he Moby doesn't love. None of my boys have loved lying down sleeping. Um, so there's been a lot of baby wearing or um, letting them sleep on my chest, which I look back now and I used to think something was wrong with Mac. But really understanding that that's just a normal baby, but I just didn't have the capacity or logistically it didn't work to do that mm. when it was just me at home and with, you know, running around after a two and a half year old. Whereas mm. now... I'm more relaxed because, you know, that's what he needs, obviously, and I just have the capacity to actually do that. So, A, I think Mm. he is a calmer baby, and I think he doesn't have the same wind issues as the other boys did. And the tongue tie has really, the release really went well, and his feeding's really good. But I think also 
I'm just capable to give him what he needs because I've got the capacity to do that within my circumstances. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And is there anything else that you want to share about any of your journeys or your births or anything like that that you feel like we haven't covered in the episode? Um, not hugely. I just think it's, um, I just think one thing to say, it's just the realisation that for me has become such a a big part of my mothering journey and, and with the births, um, you know, going into each birth and then mothering just how much a part of your own personal work of kind of figuring out, you know, what, you know, what your triggers are and what your fears are and, and really figuring out who you are as a, as a Mm -hmm. woman, that's been such a journey for me through my births and mothering. Um, you know, it's been hard being a mum has been the hardest thing and, and, but also the most rewarding because kind of without those being pushed to those limits and I think that's what birth does sometimes it pushes you to that limits and you kind of get to see your um capabilities and I just yeah that's been my experience of of birth Mm. and motherhood in general yeah awesome well thank you so much Marnie for coming on the podcast and sharing your different experiences with us I know that there were lots of people out there really interested in hearing your story and I think you've covered it really well so I'm just super grateful that you're willing to come on and chat with me and yeah I know that the listeners are going to love it oh thank you so much Jordan I've loved it and um yeah I feel really uh really grateful that you are out there um just sharing just the multitude of experiences (laughs) of birth and just making us all feel um like we are connected to each other through this experience which i think is so important thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of kiwi birth tales i hope you have enjoyed it as always i'd love to hear from you if you want to let me know in the review form if you listen on apple podcasts if you loved this episode or what you love about the podcast if you could leave me a star review that would be amazing Otherwise, I'd absolutely love to hear from you on the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram or through email kiwibirthtales at gmail.com. Otherwise, I will speak to you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.